Last week, we were on this series called Yes. And one of the things that's so important for me in this Yes series is for you to get the fact that yes is a powerful word. Yes is an incredible idea. And here's how I shared it at the first meeting. I was talking about the greatest yes of my life was really when I asked my beautiful bride to marry me. And it was an incredible moment where I asked her, will you marry me? And she said, yes. She actually giggled and kissed me. But I took that as a yes. She's working back in the children's area today. She's not here or else I'd stand up and, and introduce you to her. You to her, her to you. I, <laughs> I, um, yes is such a, a, such a fascinating idea because when your kids come to you, and they say, hey, Dad, can I have a new cell phone because mine's busted? You should see my son's cell phone. It is in pieces. And he's been asking to get a cell phone for about six weeks now. And I keep saying, yeah, yeah, Taylor, at, right after launch, we'll get you a cell phone. It's after launch now, and we haven't gotten him a cell phone. So he has this, this cell phone. He wants it so bad. He comes in every, every few days. Dad, can I have a cell phone? I'm like, yes, Taylor, we will. I promise we will get it. We, it will happen. Just have faith. <laughs> Sometimes you feel like that with God, don't you? Jesus is saying yes to us, and I want to highlight some ways that Jesus says yes to you and to me. Jesus is so for you and me, but sometimes we feel like Taylor coming and asking for something. And we begin to doubt because we don't see it or feel it. Somehow that causes us to wrestle. And I, I, think, I think God wants us to know that he is so for us. He is so adamantly with us. He is so uh, surrounding us and wanting to give us all that he has. He has everything that we need for life and godliness, the scripture says. And he wants to say yes to us that sometimes we doubt it and many times we're just distracted enough, we're discouraged enough, we're fearful enough that we don't buy in to the yes of Jesus. Most Christians, I find, are really having a problem in Jesus saying yes to them because, ladies, I'll see you later. It's great seeing you. The rest of you were looking at them. I thought I'd just acknowledge them. <laughs> it was great in a movie theater. Everybody just, okay. Okay, so are you with me now? All right, so. <laughs> I actually forgot where I was just now. I was talking about yes. I was, oh, most Christians, most Christians struggle desperately because they never feel good enough. They never feel like they can receive the massive love that Jesus has for them. And last week, that's what we talked about. We talked about Ephesians 3, 19, where the Apostle Paul prays and he says, I want you to get this. I want you to know that the love of God is so big, it's so long, it's so high, it's so deep, it's so all-consuming. And you need to get this love that surpasses knowledge so that, the scripture says, so that you can be filled to the measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what that scripture says. And most Christians are struggling, most believers are struggling to be filled with all that Jesus has. I want to try to encourage you in that today. Turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. This is kind of our home base. And it says, verse 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That, little, that last little phrase, he has given us his spirit, and his spirit is a little deposit. It's nothing compared to what's coming, but what is in you, what he's given you is, is more than enough, and we're going to find that. We're going to read that. Every promise that Jesus has given in the scriptures, every promise that we find in the scriptures, what we find is that Jesus is the one who makes it happen. He says right here, he says, it says, um, it is in Christ that the yes happens. And through him, so through him, the amen, which is the so be it, that's not, the, that's not a nice word to end a prayer with. It's actually an agreement. When you agree with what Christ has done, when you come to the table, you come to the Lord's table and you agree with what he's done, what he said, what he's doing, who he is, then something happens. His yes comes into your life. And so here we turn on your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 2, it'll be to your right in, your script, in the Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, I love this passage. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us these very great and precious promises so that through them you might participate. Everybody say that word, participate. Say it one more time. Participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Incredibles. You ever seen The Incredibles? Strangely enough, with five children, I've seen it hundreds of times. And, and as I watch it, I become, I, I always think about this scripture. This scripture, because what Jesus has done by his death, his burial, his resurrection, and by returning to the, to the right hand of the Father, Jesus is in heaven, and he told the disciples he would send the Holy Spirit to us. That's what that last verse said. The Holy Spirit is in us as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What that means is you are no longer mere mortals. There is some kind of superhero quality that you obtain. Not because you've done it or because you're so great, but because God has put something in you. And so during the day, you're just average Joe Schmo. And yet, when the moment comes, when you need to, to, to pray for somebody, when you need to connect with someone, when you see what Jesus is doing, and you, all of a sudden, you become super Joe. 
You become, you, something happens to you. you. You have his spirit and you pray for people. You get to do the good stuff. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, I get to do the good stuff. All right, here's, for, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 1, sorry. Ephesians chapter 1. And then I'm going to give you three things that you can think about this week. Three things. Ephesians chapter 1. I love this passage. It says, this is the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this to the Ephesian believers. He says here in verse 18, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that be, can be given. Notice this little phrase right here. Are you ready? Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What that means is he's given it to you now and then. It's not just glory in the great by and by. It is God doing something and giving you something now. It is God giving us his spirit, his life, his power, his grace, his faith, his authority, his strength. Everything that he has, he gives it to us. And he, and he changes us and he transforms us. And when Jesus says yes to you, you become somebody different. When Jesus says yes to you, you have access to all that he has given. Not just later, but now. He's given us, think about it, he's given us his word. The word of God, the scripture says it's quick and powerful, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it separates between soul and spirit. The scriptures, you, he's given us the scriptures as his word to us. He's given us his Holy Spirit that lives in us. We are, we are the houses, the temples, the scripture says, of God. He's given us one another. Nothing, none, none, of, the, none of the principles of Christianity can really be lived out alone. It's really supposed to be lived out in a community. Christianity cannot be practiced in an individual spirituality. It's impossible. It really is. Just think of it for think of it with me for a second. If the scripture says that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Sweet, we did it. You and me. So, if if the Bible says that, how do you measure it? How do you inspect the fruit? Only way to inspect is if you're in a community of people. And so I think, I think it's important to realize that's what church is. It's this group of people that God has given you to make you into a better person, to help you walk, to help the fruit grow, and to help him be revealed in your life. And so, but when Jesus says yes to you, I want to give you three things. If you have a little notepad, I want you to think about these things. Th three things. They're unique. They're, I think they're not sort of your average message about um, what Jesus does or what he says to us. But I want, to, I want you to see a unique aspect of what Jesus does. Turn over to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. One of my favorite passages in all the scriptures. This is the story that Jesus tells 
He tells three stories in this chapter. And I want you to, I want, as we, we're not going to read all through the chapter, but I want you to just, as soon as you get there, you can look up at me. As soon as you get there, just look up at me. Here's the, here's the yes that Jesus gives. When Jesus says yes to you, what he's saying yes to is he's saying yes to your value. He's saying yes to value over volume. One of the things that's got to uh, mark one chapel is our value of people, whether or not we're going to value them the same way that Jesus does. Read this passage here, Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That is a fascinating scripture as I've lived with it. And here's what I've found fascinating is that there is a comparison between the one and the 99. And the one, what Jesus says is all of heaven, the rejoicing that happens when one lost sheep is found, what he says is it's more. There's more to it. It's a bigger deal. It's more of an issue to heaven than all of us 99 who are here being faithful. That kind of messes with you a little bit, doesn't it? It's like, oh, Jesus, come on, man. Do you know how much setup I've been doing? I mean, this, it's, we've only done three weeks, and this is a pain. I'm just saying. Got to get here at 6.45 in the morning, and I'm setting up stuff, and Ross always comes by and changes things. It's... It's, it, this, I don't like this. this is, I'm, you know, I'm, but I've been here, man. I've been faithful. Jesus tells the story and he says, look, there's something else here that you've got to see. It's not that I don't appreciate you. It's not that you're not in the fold. It's not that you're not a sheep. You definitely are. You're in the fold. You are, there's something wonderful about you. But what Jesus is highlighting is individual value versus all the people that might join our church. I heard Jack Hayford say recently, he said, it's important that you understand that we're not trying to grow a big church. What we're trying to do is grow big people. And when you grow big people, that has repercussions. That has all kinds of things that are going to take place and people will grow and people will be attracted and people will see your light and there'll be something that happens in you to share the, the, the message of the gospel with them. But the truth is, it's important for you to realize that God values you and that because he values you, you've got to value each one individually. It's not that numbers aren't important, okay? Numbers matter, okay, because heaven and hell matters, but each number is valuable. Did you track on that with me? It's not that numbers aren't important. It's, 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 we want people to hear the message. 
We want people to be drawn to Jesus. We want people to come back to him. People who lost sheep that are far away. We want them to come because that's what Jesus says heaven rejoices about. We want to get in on the party. I'm telling you, One Chapel, there is no party like the party of a lost sheep. Churches get stale and old and dry when there's no lost sheep coming. The party's not good anymore. <laughs> it's all the same people. <laughs> we already know everything about them. <laughs> Jesus is highlighting value over volume. Then, then you go down here. He, he, notice what he says in the next, I'm not going to read the next two passages, but the next two stories are the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. So most of you probably know the prodigal son story. The father waits for him to return. He takes all of his inheritance, and he goes and spends it on wild living, and then he comes back, and he thinks, I'm just going to be a servant to my father's house, and his father just won't hear any of it, and gives him this robe, and puts a ring on his finger, and puts shoes on his feet, and they kill the fatted calf, and they have a huge party. What I want you to notice is, it's an interesting idea. In each of the stories, there were other, the, the, the father had another son. Wasn't that enough? The lady who lost her lost coin, she had other coins. Jesus told the story of the shepherd who had a lot of other sheep. Isn't that good enough? No, it's not good enough. When we named one chapel, Jesus kind of, you know, there's always a vision behind people's names. Well, it happened to me one day reading John 17, but it occurred to me later that, that this idea needs to be squarely in the middle of one chapel, that Jesus said that it's so wonderful that the 99 are left and the one is chased down and found and brought back. And when that happens, there's a party. And so that's why one chapel will always be for the one. For the one that's lost, for the one who reigns. This is who we are, and we have to be about these two things in everything that we do, in everything that we say, in everything that we are. The church should be more like a hospital, people, than a health club. It should be more like a hospital than a health club. It can't just be this place where we kind of get, make each other healthier, where we deal with you know, self-esteem issues and we get really good at what we're doing. No, man, it's got to be. And because it's a hospital, some of you are going to freak out. Some of you don't like blood. It makes you nauseous. It makes you nervous. You see, the, you see people go, oh, what's wrong with that person? Boy, they really need something. Somebody go over there and help them. Sometimes you're going to be asked to go over there and help them. Stop the bleeding. And if you pass out, it's okay. Somebody else will come up right behind you and help you. That's the wonder of a church. That's the wonder of a family. That's the wonder of how it should work. Okay, so it should be more like a hospital than a health club. We're not, so, so this, is, this is where we're going. Let's, number two, number two. Here we go. That was number one. Number two. When Jesus says yes to you, what he's saying is he's saying yes to the relationship and not religion. Yes to a relationship and not religion. Now, most of you have probably heard that little term before, but I want you to notice John 15. John chapter 15. Turn in your Bibles there. 
And we're going to read a little passage that describes how Jesus valued relationships. Everything Jesus did had its strength in relationships. Everything he did had this centerpiece of love. Love, listen, love was his message, but it was also his method. It was his message, but it was his method. He loved people. You consider it. Think about how Jesus poured into 12 guys that weren't very good. They weren't great rabbis. They were never going to be great teachers, you know, according to everybody else. Turns out they turned the world upside down. So he invests in these fishermen, these tax collectors. He invests in them and he pours himself into them. He pours into them so much. He relates to them so well. They connect so much over the three years that they did ministry together that they carried on his ministry even after he was gone. There was a relationship that drove them. John chapter 15 verse 12 says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now that script, that little verse right there always tripped me up. Well, yeah, that kind of sounded like my son Owen. My son Owen really likes to play with other kids as long as they do what he says. (laughs) And then when they don't do what he says, he gets really angry about it. Jesus is, I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. I think contextually, we can look at what he's saying about being engaged in the vine and the branches. And as we look at him telling this story, he's saying, look, this, is, this love that I have for you, it's laying down my life for you, and you have to do it just like I do it. And even though I'm your master, is what he's saying, even though I am teaching you, even though I'm telling you what to do, I'm commanding you, as you love me, you will do what I command you, certainly, but then he finishes it with this phrase, I no longer call you servants because I, a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you, what is it? Friends, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. There it is again. Jesus says yes to you. And he says everything the father's told him, everything the father's given him, he's giving you. And so Jesus is saying, even though I'm commanding you, even though I am your teacher, even though I am this person that you look to and and you should follow, that it's not just about this transaction. It's not just about doing what I say. It's about something more than that. I want you to notice in Luke chapter 10, if you go over to Luke chapter 10, you can follow with me. Luke chapter 10. We see Jesus communicating something This is a story. Jesus has sent out the 72, all right? So he worked with the 12. Then he developed another group of disciples and sent out the 72. And so in verse 17 of of Luke 10, he says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. This is, you gotta get, you got to get what's happening here. So, he's, so Jesus has been healing people. He's been doing miraculous things. Incredible things have been happening. They've been watching him. And now he says to them at the top of chapter 10, he says, now you go and you do this. All right? You, I give you authority to cast out demons and to heal people. And then they come back to him and they're telling the story like, Jesus, you would not believe it. <laughs> Jesus is like, well, actually, I, I would. 
He say, they say, even the demons are submit, submitting to us. This is an incredible thing. And then as soon as they say it, what does Jesus do? As soon as they say it, as soon as they're like getting all excited about this thing, he says, hey, easy. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I think he was seeing, I think he was thinking about how pride puffs up and how this whole religious attitude destroys people. He says, verse 9, 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, everybody say it. However, say it like me. However, <laughs> don't read it like you're reading the Bible. See, if you just read it like, however, you got to read the Bible. You got to like look between the lines. You can't just read the story and, oh, that was a nice story. No, you got to think. You got to turn the story upside down. You got to see why was Jesus saying, however, however, I just like saying it now, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This seems to indicate to me that there's something even more valuable to Jesus than the power or the ritual or the if you want to if you want to you want to talk about the ritual, we won't turn there right now, but you most of you if you've been a Christian any amount of time, you've heard the scripture quoted in Matthew 5 where it talks about Jesus or it talks about um, if you're at the altar offering your gift and you think to yourself there's somebody who's really offended with me, who's really upset with me. Then leave your gift at the altar is what it says and go make it right and then come back and give your, altar, give, give your gift at the altar. Now what this means is it means a hierarchy of biblical principles. The ritual of giving your gift, the ritual of coming to sacrifice what you have to God is not as important to him as making sure that relationships are healthy and working and strong. That's the thing that we have got to hold just like Jesus did. We've got to hold those values so strongly. The relationships are the way that ministry works. I'll tell you this. Relationships, as we think about them, they're really the only way that people respond to you sharing Christ. Billboards don't do it. Television commercials don't do it. The way Christ is really shared where it sticks, where people see it and they experience it and they receive it when they receive Christ, the way it happens best and the way it happens most is by relationships, people that they know. God designed it that way. Relationships are a super huge priority. The only way that anyone is made into a disciple is because they have a relationship with a disciple maker. They give access to their lives. They let, they let somebody else in. And, and, and you, as, you, as you allow people to see who you are, who you really are, as you allow people to see who you really are, that's a relationship that's going to produce great fruit in you. <laughs> Truthfully, um, most church plants fail because they don't get to that stage. They don't get to that place where they open up to each other. And typically, in a church plant, what you find is people who have some disgruntledness. <laughs> okay, this, this might be a little touchy to some of you, but you find it a lot of time. You have disgruntledness, and, and you bring that with you. 
or you bring some kind of mask with you because the people at your last church know you real well. <laughs> and now it's time to start again. Okay, now here's what I want to tell you. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. I'm, I want to tell you this. Everybody needs a second chance. I'm okay with you showing up here. I'm okay with you coming from a, a situation that's not good. Now, I want you to leave well. Whatever that situation is, I want to leave, you to leave with honor, and I want you to leave with respect. And if you haven't, you need to go back and make it right. Because that same thing, if, it, if, if it's all messed up there, you'll bring it here. And what's going to happen here is people are going to be honest. People are going to be real. They're going to be open. They're going to take off the veil, not leave it on like Moses left it on. They're going to, they're going to take, it, take it off and allow other people to see into their lives. Because relationships are number one. Last little verse on this passage. I want you to see John 17. Just turn over there to John 17. This is a lot of scripture that you're having to turn and look at. Don't you love it? The Bible is good. Um, I'm committing to uh, challenge you to turn with me to your Bibles, to make little notes in the Bible, to become more and more familiar with the scriptures and make sure that you have them and know where they are. John 17, verse 24. Look at this. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me. John 17 is Jesus praying for his disciples. Our namesake, one chapel, came from the verses right above it, verse 20 through 23. In Jesus' prayer for his disciples, and he prays for his disciples, he says, Father, I want them to be with me. <laughs> Most people don't get it with Jesus. Jesus wasn't just walking through, you know, the crowds. Hmm. Pale, brown flowing hair. He was, a, he was a man. He was a guy's guy. He hung around with 12 guys. There was, a, there was, there was relational capacity for him. He wasn't just this untouchable. He was so touchable that the woman with the issue of blood came and touched his garment. He, was, he walked with the crowds. He, he wanted to be with people. And then he knew he had to be with his father. So he would run and he would try to separate himself from the crowds. But it was because of his relationship with the Father that he did that. And so you see Jesus here, he's saying, I want these guys to be with me. He knows what's coming. He knows what's happening. He's going to die on the cross in just a very few short days. He's going to give his life. He, he sees it happening, and he's praying. He said, Father, I want these to be with me where I am, and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me, and I have made you known. Look at all those words in there. No, no, no. I know you. They know you. They know me. We know each other. We know each other so well. This is the point of Christianity. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love, everybody say it, love. I, I want to know you. <laughs> See, because knowing you is not quite enough. <laughs> Because what's going to happen is if I know you, I know where your failures are going to be. I know where your faults are going to be. I know what's going to happen to you. I know there may be some violations in our relationship. And so now it's going to have to be this moment where 
I know you, I know the Father, I know what Jesus has done, but now I'm going to love you. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants for us. He says relationship, not religion. It's not a a ritual. We don't come here to do our duty. We come here to relate to one another and to, to develop friendships and to love one another. He says, in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Number three. Number three. So number one, value over volume. Relationship over religion. And number three, when Jesus says yes to you, it means gifts versus goods. Gifts versus goods. One of the struggles that most people have when they, when they come to Jesus, if someone has led them to Christ with a prosperity gospel message, hey, which goes something like this, hey, do you want to come to Jesus? He'll, he'll like give you everything that you could ever want. He'll give you peace and encouragement and strength and wisdom, and it'll be awesome. Give your life to Christ, and you'll get all this stuff. Then they come to Jesus, and one of the first things that happens is what? Trial, tribulation, temptation. Like, wait, what is this? I didn't sign up for this. This is not the gospel that I took part in. This is something else. There's something that we've got to make sure we understand. When Jesus says yes to us, he's saying yes to his gifts. He's saying yes to giving us who he is, giving us his Holy Spirit, but he is not saying that you can have anything you want. Yes does not mean that you get everything you want. That would make you spoiled. Right? If you if Jesus says yes, if Jesus says yes to you to everything you wanted, then you would be a spoiled child. The world that we live in is difficult. James 1.16, we won't turn to it there because of time. James 1.16 says, you've got to get this. The Father is a giver of good gifts. He gives good gifts, 1.16 and 1.17. Don't be deceived, it says. He said, even when you go through difficulty, even when you go through struggle, don't be deceived. God is the giver of good gifts. If you look at Matthew chapter 7, Real quick, I'm just going to turn over there. Matthew chapter 7, you see him saying, verse 9, Matthew 7, 9, which of you, is a, if his sons will ask for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, <laughs> evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, if you want to give your kids good gifts, then how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I think it's interesting that the next verse verse says this, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. It's interesting that he would follow how good he is with an encouragement to do good to each other. You know, you know why I think he does that? I think he does that because so many people don't do good to each other. He's given us these gifts we have to do good to one another. But there will be things in this life that will violate us. There will be tragedies. There will be disappointments. There will be struggles. 
There will be people who disappoint. There's no way around that. It's going to happen. John 16, what does it say? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. But then he says this amazing thing. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's like, okay, you're going to have trouble. But you know what? I'm inside of you, and I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. You can make it. Look, I am not of the belief that Christianity is, a, is about sort of um, kind of, uh, oof, boy, I almost went off the track there. That wasn't good. Um, I don't want to put down any realm of the body of Christ, but there is a group of people that take the faith message too far. And what happens when bad things happen in people's lives is there's a formula that begins to sort of be adopted in this faith teaching that if somehow something bad is happening to you, it's your fault. Oh, well, you must not be living right. Well, you must, there must be something wrong with you. Or God must be trying to teach you a lesson, which makes everything so frustrating because you do everything you can and you can't figure it out. Listen, I don't believe that. I believe that we live in the world This is a fallen world. I believe that Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because it's not done here. Hello. (laughs) And, and And there are multiple issues that we wrestle with in our in our families decisions that people can make, the, the, the friendships that can be violated. It's all possible here. In fact, nobody proves it like Jesus. The suffering that he went through. When the scripture teaches us as believers to lay down your life for others as Jesus laid down his life, that probably means surrendering to some suffering. Now, what I believe is that you've been given everything you need to endure. You've been given everything you need to be strong. You've been given everything you need to make sure that you can endure to the end, that the, that, that the, the, the heaven is a place that we're going to end up at, but that it is It is something that will be so wonderful when we get there, when we see it, when we experience it. And what we're doing right here is we're going through this earth. And there is a new kingdom and a new heaven and a new earth that is on its way. And we are bringing it. We are the ones who are participating in it. It's a little bit here. It's a little bit now. And then it will be in its fulfillment. There is something that we've got to bring to this world because it is so bad. It is so messed up. It is so, there's so much sin and so much violation. We've got to be the ones to carry the compassion of Christ, even in the midst of our own pain. That's a sermon all in its own, and we will visit it. One of the challenges of a church plant is you want to tell everything in each sermon. So I have one more point left, but I'm not going to get to it, so I'll tell it to you another time. So let's pray, let's take a moment, and let's just respond to the Holy Spirit. So as I've been talking a little bit, some of you have either been resonating with it, or some of you have been 
convicted in your own heart, in your own life. Jesus is saying yes to you. Jesus is saying yes to you, but you really need to say yes to him. And as Jesus is sort of communicating his life and his heart, his desire for you, one of the best things that we, any of us can do is we can say yes to what he's saying to us. I think, I think it's clear from the scriptures that he has said yes. He has said yes. If you just keep your eyes closed all over this room, I, I just want to take a moment and I want you to respond to the calling of Jesus. And I want specifically for you to respond. Anyone here who has not given their life to Christ, but you sense him in this place and you're being drawn, you want to respond, you want to say, yes, I want to give my life to Christ. His plan is better than my plan. Or maybe you're here and you need to say yes to him again because it's been a long time. Maybe you've been hurt by some other people who called themselves Christians and you're not sure you want to take the risk again. Jesus is calling you. He wants you to say yes to him. He's saying yes to you. He's saying yes to you. And so if you sense God calling you and you want to say yes I just want you to lift up your hand in the air nobody's looking around just lift up your hand yep yep I see you yep I see you I see you yep that's good that's good yep okay you can put your hands down this is a sign it's a it's kind of a a symbol you take action and you say yes God that's me you reach up it's a good thing to do I'm not going to call you forward. What I want to do is pray with you. And I want, you know, all of us say things we don't mean way too much. <laughs> the power of this prayer is not what we say. It's what we believe. So I want you to pray with me. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want everybody to pray with me together. Everybody saying this prayer. Repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus thank you that he has said yes to me. Thank you for your gifts. Thank you for relationship. Thank you for valuing me. Now I want to value you. I give my life to you. I give my all. I surrender. Your plan is much better than mine. Lead me guide me, forgive me for my past, make me new so I can serve you, so I can know you. In Jesus' name. Now let me just pray over you. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would cause this little seed to go deep. 
as you're saying yes to us, we respond with a resounding amen, a resounding yes, that we're going to live our lives to honor you. And we're going to help other people discover you. We thank you for this. And I pray over every heart that you protect them, you'd surround them, you'd enable them to hear your voice and to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. That's good. That's good stuff. The last thing we're going to do is we're going to worship the Lord with a giving of tithes and offerings. If you're brand new here, we don't expect you to give, but uh, we, it's a commitment we've made because we believe it's part of our worship. We believe it's part of who we are, that Jesus owns it all, and then we give a portion back to him to expand his kingdom and to do his purpose here on the earth, and that is called the local church where the storehouse is. And so we're going to give in that. If you Listen, if you just had something wonderful go on with you and Jesus, and you have that little connection card, I would love to know about it. If you would mark down, if you committed your life to Christ, if you're renewing that commitment, I would love to just know that so I could follow up with you and connect with you. I would love to hear about that. And so you can place that in the offering bucket as well. Make sure if you want to communicate a prayer request or something, you can do that as the offering goes by, all right? Let's pray over it. Father, thank you for all you're doing. We give to you. We offer everything we have to you, and we love you. We give this as worship to you because you own it all. We love you, we honor you, and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord while we're giving.